This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Joshua. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Joshua in Hebrew is Yahashua. It is the same name that Jesus was given. Jesus is the Greek transliteration of his Hebrew name, Yahashua. And the contrast is that while Achan in the Old Testament suffered judgment at the hands of Joshua, his leader, because of Achan's sin against God, here's the contrast. We now, instead of receiving judgment by the hand of Jesus, our Joshua, we receive mercy and grace for our sin. In today's message, Pastor Gary shares about how God's plan is revealed all through Scripture, His redemptive plan for all of us, and in ways that are nothing short of miraculous. You can read through Scripture and feel like you're looking at the back of a tapestry. With all the threads going this way and that, it's hard to make any sense of it, and then it all makes sense. The beautiful work of art on the other side is revealed. What seemed like a tangled mess of stories in one story, God's story of love. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Joshua, chapter 8, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Joshua, chapter 8, is where we are in our journey through the book of Joshua, the Israelites, after spending 400 years of slavery in Egypt, have now made their way back to the promised land, the land that God swore on oath to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They come under the southern end of the Dead Sea, so they're now on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They will uh, first camp at a place called Shittim, and then they will uh, cross the Jordan River, and they will end up at a place called Gilgal. And uh, they will uh, have a, um, a base camp there for the campaign against Jericho. They will take that city, and then they will come to the city of Ai. In chapter 7, it was a disastrous uh, military campaign against Ai. And what we came to find out when God revealed the uh, issues that were behind the scenes is that the reason why the Israelites experience defeat at Ai, and by the way, it's the only time that they experience casualties in the book of Joshua, 36 die, uh, is because that there was one man by the name of Achan who had disobeyed God related to Jericho. When the Israelites took Jericho, they were told, do not take any of the plunder, but it is to be dedicated as unto the Lord in the sense that it is not to be touched except for the silver, gold, and bronze. You can take that into the treasury of the Lord. Well, Achan decided, you know, we call him mistaken Achan because he said, yeah, well, I, I hear that, but I'm not going to do that. And so he ends up taking some uh, silver. In today's dollar value, it would be about $2,200. He takes some gold. In today's dollar value, it's about $38,000. And he took a, a, a Babylonian robe. So he's got a bathrobe and he's got about $40,000 in cash that he took from Jericho. God said, don't take anything. Well, he hid it in his tent. Nobody knew about it except God because there's no secret sin with God. He sees everything. 
And so God then did not give the Israelites his favor. When they march against Ai, they experience defeat. Joshua thought that God had abandoned them, but in reality, God had just not abandoned them, but he had said, listen, if you don't walk in obedience to me, you're not going to walk in my favor. And little did Joshua know that there was a guy in the camp, Achan, who had stolen these things, disobeyed God, and that's the reason why they suffered defeat. So chapter 7 is a, is a disastrous uh, chapter in terms of casualties and their defeat. At the end of chapter 7, the remedy is that once Achan was exposed by process of elimination, we talked about that too, how God was very laborious in the way that he finally exposed Achan. The idea is that God is giving Achan a chance, that if he would come clean early, it would go well for him. But it, it didn't go well for him because he didn't come clean early. And as a result, once he's exposed, the instruction was that Achan should be taken to the valley of Achor. It's from the same Hebrew root word, his name and Achor, Achan and Achor means trouble, because he brought trouble on Israel, God will bring trouble on him, and it was there that he was killed. And he and his family were burned, and, it was, and, and their family was eradicated. Now, I want to say something here, because sometimes Old Testament passages and a, a, a chapter like that is difficult. And I want to say something. Listen, when God does something so drastic, and that was indeed drastic. I mean, the idea that God says, this family is going to come under my judgment because of their disobedience, and the judgment is going to be death. We can look at that and we can become alarmed about what kind of a God would kill people like that. And here's what what we need to understand. And for you note takers, you can just jot this down. Sometimes God operates by principle, not by pattern. In other words, you can be thankful that God doesn't deal with all of us the way that he dealt with Achan. In fact, there's a beautiful contrast, beautiful in this sense. That Achan suffered the consequences for his sin, which resulted in death. Joshua was his leader, but Joshua could do nothing except execute the judgment of God. Joshua in Hebrew is Yahashua. It is the same name that Jesus was given. Jesus is the Greek transliteration of his Hebrew name, Yahashua. And the contrast is that while Achan in the Old Testament suffered judgment at the hands of Joshua, his leader, because of Achan's sin against God, here's the contrast. We now, instead of receiving judgment by the hand of Jesus, our Joshua, we receive mercy and grace for our sin. So sometimes God um, exposes things for the purpose of principle, not for the purpose of pattern. It's not like I'm going to keep repeating this, but he wants us to understand the seriousness of disobedience. But then he reminds us, hey, that's why I sent my son Jesus, so you don't have to die like Achan. That in fact, at the hand of Joshua in the New Testament, Yahashua, Yeshua, Jesus, you can experience mercy and grace and not have to die for your sins. So you have to look at the whole picture of the Bible. And if you just look at one chapter and go, wow, that's a heavy-handed God right there. That's, that's serious business. Okay, yeah, it's serious business. But that's not how God always operates. That's the way he is in principle, not as a pattern. We see a New Testament similarity in Acts chapter 5. You might remember the story of two people, Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife. And Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and to the apostles when they said that they had sold a piece of property and given it all to God. Well, they hadn't done that at all. And God didn't require them to give it all to him either, but they lied about doing that. And when they did, they were each popped off by God. 
Now, aren't you glad that if you don't give faithfully, you're not going to die for that? Because why? Our Joshua, our Jesus has ushered in grace. So we still want to honor God. We want to obey God. We want to live up to his standard. Okay, the moral code of the law is still intact. But thankfully now we can look at the way that God operates sometimes as a matter of principle to communicate a strong message. But that he doesn't always do those things as a matter of a pattern because of his grace expressed through the cross. So, yes, we look at something like chapter 7, we go, how terrible is that? The Israelites suffered defeat, Uh, they can't take the city of Ai, and Achan and his family are stoned to death and then burned. Uh, How tragic. Okay. But we keep in mind, there's a principle of living righteously before God and thanking Him that our Joshua, our Yahashua Jesus, now offers us grace so that we don't have to die for our sins. So in chapter 8 here, it's a better chapter in the sense that now uh, they are going to successfully take the city of Ai. And, uh, but again, the, the, you know, this, this can be difficult when you read through this chapter. This is basically a chapter uh, that describes a military campaign that is carried out here by Joshua and the Israelites at the directive of God. Here we go, chapter 8 says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. You can underline that in your Bibles. Somebody once counted that there are 365 times in the Bible where God says, do not be afraid. This is one of them. 365 times. That's one do not fear for every day of your your life. For 365 times, every day of a year, for every day of your life. Don't be afraid. And again, Joshua is this mighty warrior, and yet God is still encouraging him. Don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. He says, take all the people of war with you and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. By the way, Ai translates in Hebrew, ruin, ruin. And it's going to come to a ruin. It's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy here in a moment. And verse 2, and you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its cattle you shall take as, you got to love the New King James booty. Okay, it's plunder, all right, for yourselves. And he says, lay an ambush for the city behind it. Now, you know, look. The first city that they took, God says, don't touch anything in Jericho except the silver, gold, and bronze. Take that into my treasury. And that's where Achan disobeyed and took some stuff for himself. Isn't it interesting that if he had just waited? Because now God says, when you take IE, you can go ahead and help yourself to the plunder. If he had just waited, uh, he would still be alive and have some stuff. Uh, but because he disobeyed, he, he came to an untimely end. And so God says here, you you can go ahead and take the plunder of the city. And he says, lay ambush for the city behind it. Now, God does not spell out a specific military campaign here. He's going to leave this up to Joshua, exactly how to carry this out. He gives Joshua some latitude here. So in verse 3, so Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. Now, when I get to the end of this section here, uh, by the end of verse 29, I'm going to come back and make some uh, observations. But one thing I want you to note is right here where he he chose 30,000 mighty men. In chapter 7, when the campaign did not go well, he had only chosen 3,000. 
All right? This is 10 times the army of chapter 7. There's some interesting contrast between the, the, the defeat of chapter 7 and the victory of chapter 8. That's one of them. And verse 4, and he commanded them saying, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city, behind the city. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. Then I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. This is Joshua talking. And it will come about when they come out against us as at the first, the first time in, back in chapter 7, that we shall flee before them. For they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand, and it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord you shall do. See, I have commanded you. And so Joshua rallies the troops here and he explains to the people, here's what's going to happen. And he um, basically strategizes with them. And he says, look, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to set 30,000 people of the, of the soldiers in the army. We're going to set, we're going to set 30,000 soldiers in a position where they're going to ambush the city. They're going to be behind the city. They're going to be west of the city. And they're going to creep up only so far until they could be possibly detected and no further. You, you don't want to be seen here. This is a stealth operation. And so he says the 30,000 are going to line up behind the city of Ai. And he says, meanwhile, I'm going to take some other people and I'm going to go in front of the city and I'm going to pretend like we are the army advancing against the city. And when the people of Ai see us approaching from the north, they're going to come pursue us. When they pursue us, we're going to run and the chase is on. And when they pursue us because they think that we're the army, then the 30,000 who are lying in ambush go into the city and take it. And here's what happens. Verse 9, Joshua therefore sent them out, and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with them went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped on the north side of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai. So he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at an appointed place before the plain. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. Okay? So th this is how it's working. Joshua's got some troops on the north of the city, some troops lying in ambush on the west of the city. He's got the front and the rear. And the king of Ai looks out, sees Joshua and this semblance of an army, and says, they're here to attack us, let's go attack them, and they're going to pursue the Israelites. 
And so he says in verse 15, And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. Look at this. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. They left the front door open. They're like, hey, we see these Israelites. They're, they're wanting to attack us again. Okay, round two. We'll give it to them. And so they open up the gates. They rush out to the north. They start pursuing Joshua and the semblance of army that he's gathered there. It's just a decoy. And Joshua goes, okay, let's all retreat as if they're going to pursue us and take us over. And let's make them chase us. And so they start booking it for the wilderness. Meanwhile, the king of Ai and his army says, great, we're going to keep pursuing them. They leave the front door open. They They go pursuing Joshua and his army. Meanwhile, 30,000 are crouching in the west. And so when the king of Ai takes his army out of the city and leaves the front door open, the Israelites just go in. They don't even have to fire a shot. They just go into the city and they're going to lay siege to everything. Verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven." And so they had no power to flee this way or that way, and the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back on the pursuers. So now they're hemmed in. You know, they leave the city, and and they're pursuing the Israelites, they think is the whole army of the Israelites. The majority of the army is already taking the city, they're burning it. The army of Ai looks back, and they realize, our city's on fire. Did somebody leave the, you know, a fire going to the fireplace? Because now something looks like it's on fire. Yeah, it's the whole city. Your whole city's on fire. We better go back. And, they, and then they, they realize, hey, we, we're going to run into the army. And just as they realize that, Joshua and the semblance of the army start pursuing them. So now they're hemmed in. They don't have anywhere to go. And so it tells us. Verse 21, now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness where they pursued them, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. Again, you know, when we read this, this is hard to look at. This is hard to imagine, 12,000 people who have died. Um, again, when, when you look at the whole council of Scripture and you understand that even beginning back in chapter 2, when Rahab had declared to the Israelites that the reputation of God and the renown of God was already known by the people, and how they still, despite all of the miraculous testimony of God, and that Rahab even said, we know that you are the God of heaven and earth, 
When the people refuse to acknowledge and accept, then they suffer the consequences. Look, you know, justice is, is a real thing, but so is mercy. You know, I, I was, uh, one time there was a, a guy who used to sit on the planning commission here in Leesburg, and um, he was uh, uh, a gentleman's gentleman. Um, and he, he would come in every once in a while and want to ask me some questions um, because he was struggling with, with, you know, becoming a Christian and trying to understand God and the Bible and, and Jesus and faith. And so I, I was happy to meet with him uh, a few times. Um, some, of, some of you might already be familiar with this story, and, and you know that he tragically died um, one day just walking down the sidewalk here in, in town. And I pray that he's with the Lord today. Um, but on one of our visits, he said to me, one of the problems I have with becoming a Christian is seeing the justice of God. And I said, tell me what you mean by that. And he said, well, take, for example, the story of Noah. You know, he said, assuming that that's true, because he's, he's still struggling to believe everything, assuming that that's true, why would God only rescue Noah and his family and condemn everybody else on earth to death by a flood? And I said, okay, you're looking at the story from the wrong angle. I said, let me ask you to come around to the other side of the ark and see it from this vantage point. And what I said to him was this, God designed an ark to rescue as many as would be saved. The problem is they didn't accept the offer for salvation. So when you look at it from one angle and you think, how could God condemn all these people and only rescue eight? Well, there's another angle to that. It is, how could all these people deny the one way to be rescued? But they did. And they suffered the consequence for it. Sometimes when we try to reconcile the justice of God and the mercy of God, it, it's difficult, especially if we're just looking at the angle of the justice of God. That is so terrible. That is so harsh. That is so, you know, final. That, that, and, and then we can look at it from that angle. But, but if we would step to the other side and realize, yeah, and so that we don't have to suffer the consequences for our sins, the mercy of God was expressed through Jesus on a cross. But if you don't accept that, like those in the days of Noah did not accept the only way to be rescued, you suffer the consequences. And some people don't, don't like that idea. They, 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 their concept of God is, well, God should be all-loving, and an all-loving God means that He rescues everybody. No, 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 no. No, see, because we are inherently sinful, and therefore sin must be judged. If God just overlooked our sin, He would not be a just and holy God. We understand this concept when we think about how maybe you've been wronged in real life. You think about somebody, let's say some intruder comes into your home, robs you of everything in your house of value, and is a eventually caught and stands before a judge in court, arrested, stands before a judge in court, you want justice, right? You want judge, throw the book at that guy, okay? What does that guy want? That guy wants mercy. The guy wants mercy. You want justice. And so it depends, you know, where you're coming from. But if, if a judge just simply said, in a court of law, I'm talking about a, a natural physical court of law. If a judge just simply said, well, you know, I see what you did and I see how this family here is wrecked by your, by your thievery, but I'm still just going to let you go and there's no consequence, you'd be outraged. All right, now translate it for yourself. It's a little more difficult when you put yourself in the shoes of the guilty one. Oh, please, no, no, jump 
Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the eventful book of Joshua. After years of wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite people would finally get to enter into the Promised Land. What would it be like? What would their future hold? There were so many unknowns that they were entering into, yet God had promised He would bless them. Entering a new season of anything can be a bit daunting and even scary. But there's a reason that God continually reminded Joshua in this book to be strong and courageous. God would be with them, and He's with you too, as you face new challenges and situations. Do you like the message you heard today? Want to listen to more just like it? At cornerstoneconnection.cc, you can listen to additional teachings from this series in Joshua. If you'd like to get in touch with us and ask for prayer about things you're wrestling through or even struggling to be strong and courageous in, feel free to email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to pray for you. With that, our time is about up for today, but we look forward to sharing more from the book of Joshua. So come back for more with Pastor Gary here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know